Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, let us listen to the word of God. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Fake it until you make it. Some of you have probably heard that expression that speaks of times when we're encouraged to do the right thing, even if it doesn't match our thinking in that particular occasion, or at least not our emotions. The understanding behind that expression is that engaging in the right behavior eventually can even change our hearts and connect in the way that they are intended to do, but sometimes that can take time. So when there are two children that have been involved in a playground spat, They may be forced to say to one another, I am sorry, but do it through gritted teeth. Someone can be making a speech about confidence while within the butterflies are raging. And sometimes a father in a particularly difficult stretch with his teenage son can say to him, I love you, even though those aren't the first words that come to mind. In all kinds of moments, there can be this adage to fake it until we make it. And I think that is true of the life of faith as well. We hear that insight from the passage that is before us this morning, a parable that Jesus told long ago of two men who go up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee individuals within Judaism who followed the teachings of their faith to the nth degree and beyond, and the other was a tax collector, a fellow Jew who worked for Rome. 
those who first heard Jesus set the stage likely were expecting that the Pharisee would be the hero of this story and the tax collector its villain. And yet, in classic fashion, Jesus reverses things in ways that his audience didn't expect. For he said that the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, even this tax collector. For I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. They're the words of a very self-confident and bold prayer. In contrast, there is the tax collector, one whose whole physical embodiment is completely different. He won't even look up to the heavens as he's offering his prayer. And instead, Jesus says he is beating his chest, ancient sign of extreme grief, as he says, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says that is the tax collector who goes home justified, that is, made right with God instead of the other, and concludes by saying, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In the classic ways that Jesus will tell stories, there are all kinds of ways that we can hear them. For certainly, this parable has something to say about the life of prayer, just like was true of the parable immediately preceding it. Luke offers an interpretation at the beginning before Jesus' even words are shared, as he said that Jesus told this parable to those who view themselves as righteous and looked upon others with disdain. And Jesus concluded that prayer by speaking of the need for humility in the life of faith, and it's possible that any one of those themes was his primary point. Still, I was struck by the way that we have two men engaged in acts of faith with completely different spirits. To hear it more clearly, it's helpful to know that within first century Judaism, it was taught that one prayed for three different reasons, for confessing one's sin to God, for thanking God for the abundance of life, or as a petition for oneself or others. Judaism in that era also taught that adherents were to fast one day a week, one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, we know as Yom Kippur, but the Pharisee said he fasted twice every week. Likewise, the teaching about tithing certainly had always been part of Judaism, but it was initially understood as giving a tenth of one's grain or one's fruit or one's livestock. And by the time Jesus spoke these words, Judaism was beginning to broaden that, to include giving of one's financial treasures. And the Pharisee said he gave 10% of everything. On the surface, it certainly looks like a life of great faith. And yet, when we hear the tone of that prayer, 
God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. It sounds more like a speech that he offered aloud so that other worshipers around him would hear and be admired of what he is doing. You and I might even say that the Pharisee was faking it. He was engaged in the right actions. He didn't seem to have any concern about what kind of internal attitude those deeds were to reflect. Jesus then tells us about the Pharisee, I mean, about the tax collector. In that particular era, a tax collector often was a Jewish citizen who worked for Rome, would collect what was required, and then was permitted to collect more and keep it for himself. As a result, Jews especially looked with disdain upon fellow believers who were engaged in this work as they were collaborating with the occupier and also taking advantage of their fellow citizens. The tax collector is remorseful in this moment. We don't know if it's because of his vocation. We aren't told. But Jesus does depict him as one who's unable to look up, one who is beating his breast, and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, he is the one who is made right with God. I think it's fair to conclude that Jesus told those two contrasting images in the hopes that we might seek to emulate the tax collector, that we'd recognize our own failings and be clear in naming those before God. And yet I think we need to guard against concluding that Jesus was rejecting the actions of the Pharisee. The Bible reveals to us that Jesus was a devout Jew himself often shows us with him in prayer. I can't think of a passage that talks of him as fasting or tithing, but to be reasonable suspect that he would have done those things as well. The Pharisees as a group were often the ones who challenged Jesus most directly in his earthly ministry too. But here Jesus doesn't seem to be objecting to the acts of faith, but rather the way in which they were being carried out. He is not rejecting the deeds themselves, nor is he suggesting that there aren't times when his followers might be faking it, but still it's the course of action of a place to begin. And I'm grateful for the fact that he lets us hear it in that way. As one of the blessings that I have, not only as a pastor, but my role at DPC, is that I get to preach very often. Typical month, it's every Sunday but one. And in most experiences, that is a time of great personal joy for me, to wrestle with the text, to listen to it, and then to deliver a message that I believe to be the one for that day one possible way of hearing a particular text. I feel the great responsibility, but also the privilege of being able to do that. And, and on most Sundays, that all comes together in a, a good way for me. Yet I want to let you in on a secret. As every now and then, there are these Sunday mornings when the last thing I want to do is stand in the pulpit and deliver the sermon that I have prepared. 
It's not those Sundays when I know it's going to be a challenging message to hear. I know there are Sundays like that. And I'm aware of how the room can go quiet at particular moments and the tension that is present. And yet trust that even with that outcome, that that is the word that I was meant to bring on that day. Now I'm talking about those other Sundays when I've done all the usual things in preparing for the sermon. I have listened to the text. I have read it into other translations. I have looked at commentaries. I've prayed over it. I've let it ponder. I've started writing and editing to practice it out loud, all the things that I would do in a given week, and yet I'm not happy with the end result. Now, on those Sundays, that really doesn't matter how I feel about it, because Sunday has this uh, very consistent characteristic to it of coming around quite often. <laughs> and, and, and yet, still on those Sundays, I will deliver the message that I've written, and I wouldn't call it faking it. It is still the word that I believe needs to be delivered in that particular occasion. Uh, and whether or not I am happy with how it's come together or my energy level on that day, I'm going to deliver it. Now, just in case you're curious, I'm feeling pretty good today. <laughs> Still, when I, when I think back on those kind of moments like that, there are Sundays when, when my instinct about the sermon proves to be true, when it just falls flat. And on those particular weeks, I'm grateful that Sunday is only seven days away because I have another opportunity to try again. But there are also moments when I am convinced the sermon is this homiletical dud. And yet, those are the weeks people will come up to me afterwards and say, you know, you spoke exactly to what was happening in my life. You helped me frame a question that I have been wrestling with. Some will even say, I think you've been eavesdropping on our conversations. And in those moments, what becomes clear to me is that preparing and delivering a sermon is ultimately not about me, not about how I feel about it, but what God chooses to do with it. And I am convinced that's true of all the acts of faith that you and I carry out. For Jesus certainly doesn't want us regularly to be engaged in the acts of faith and, and feel this disconnect with what is happening in our heart in that moment. He doesn't want us to come to worship only because we think it would be good for our children to see. He doesn't want us to go on mission trips only because we know it would be good on a college application. He doesn't want us to, to give an offering plate and, and do so grudgingly or to say, peace be with you and, and really kind of grumble it because the parishioner we're not getting along with. Jesus doesn't want us to do any of those things or to stay in that kind of place. And I think the issue with the Pharisee was, not only was that his ongoing demeanor, but there was a heavy dose of self-righteousness and disdain for others. Jesus doesn't want that for any of us. Nor does he want us to wait until the moment when we feel as if every faithful act or every faithful deed directly matches what is happening in our heart in that moment. For in those times when we find that, that the words we are speaking just feel empty to us or the gesture we're carrying out just 
isn't doing anything for us in that moment, I think what Jesus still wants us to do is to keep worshiping and keep praying, to keep studying and to keep serving, to keep giving and to keep offering up ourselves in some new kind of way, trusting that the behavior itself can shape the condition of our hearts. And to do so, not thinking ever that we'll get to the place where it always perfectly matches up or to the place where we, we know without a doubt that the words we are speaking reflect exactly what is happening in our hearts, but instead to keep at it, even in those moments when we do and will fall short. Tony Robinson is a United Church of Christ pastor who in a devotional a couple years ago, I think, characterized that dynamic of the Christian life, talking about vacation. As he said, this summer, we were Methodists. We worshiped at a small Methodist church in the little town near our cabin in northeastern Oregon. What did we find? Basically, we found the church being the church, and it was a blessing to us. We were warmly welcomed, mostly. There was Sharon, who sat down next to me one Sunday and told me I was in the place where she had sat every Sunday for 50 years. <laughs> but I was welcome to stay if I moved over. <laughs> we prayed together, sang together, heard the story of Jesus, and were drawn into common labors. There were the usual foibles, he went on. The announcements went on too long. When the microphone was passed for prayer, some folks took the opportunity to make yet more announcements, after which the rest of us said, Lord, hear our prayer. Our real prayer was, please, Jesus, don't let that person have the microphone again. <laughs> it was all pretty ordinary, an earthen vessel, and yet somehow the extraordinary power of God really was, is at work in that church. As a bit of an outsider, I saw more clearly how amazing church is. It may not seem like much, but really it is. I expect that is true of your church too, he said. Friends, we, we will never reach the place in our lives of faith where every deed that we carry out in response to God's call perfectly matches what is happening in our heart. We will never come to that place when we can uniformly know that word and deed and sentiment and emotion are all fitting together in the way that we long for it to be. And yet, I think Jesus was saying long ago that if we can pray, God, I thank you and mean it, or pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and mean that, we are back on the path that he intends. And that at least in that moment, we have made it. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for your call of faith to us and for the privilege that we have of engaging in this journey with you. We also thank you for those times when our deeds, our words, in fact, match 
grateful hearts and confess to you those times that you already are aware of when the two do not. Help us to grow, to grow in understanding that all of our actions are meant to bring honor and glory to you and that you can transform them and us at each step along the way. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.